0: this group you know i'm usually in i'm usually in at four o'clock i'm usually in shoreline oxnard you know um i'm happy to be here i'm glad to be here i'm glad you're here i started a series and i think one of the greatest hits of jesus was the story of the prodigal son there's actually three characters in it but i'm only going to focus on one character so if I ever get invited back, I'll do the second character, but today I'm just going to do the first character, but this story of the prodigal is so radical, it challenges even the most righteous in this room, but right now the righteous are going are to struggle with looking down at this guy, because this guy is not doing what he should be doing, in fact, he's doing the opposite of what he's doing, or should be doing, and so he dishonors a lot of people. So it's an amazing story, and it's called The Prodigal, The Story of the Prodigal Son. So when we always approach God's Word, here's something that I like to encourage uh, people that visit church with us, and the members of the church as well. It's not, what, is the, what, is the, what does it mean to me when you read the Bible? It's, what does it mean for me? And a lot of times we get caught up in this world of, what does it mean to me, and our, our truth, and what I think? No, no, it actually is trying to tell you, what is the Bible trying to tell you what he's telling everybody else. And so what I I try to encourage people is that God's word actually has meaning. It's not this verse of the day that kind of cheers you up. It actually has a deeper meaning. And your personal application to that reading of the Bible is going to be different for everyone, but it has meaning for you too. It's not the things that we bring to the Bible. It's what we receive from God's word. We can't really bring anything to God's Word, it's perfect, but we're here to receive God's Word. So, in this this morning, my goal, and our goal, is what is God telling me? And so, as we look at this story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is accumulating followers, and And in just the chapter before this, Luke 15, he's actually challenging these followers going, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mom, your brother, your sister, yes, even yourself. I mean, he is really laying it on and he's attracting more people. He's saying you have to value me more than any other relationship in your life. Otherwise, Christianity won't mean much to you. You will not be effective in your Christianity if Jesus is not the most valuable person in your life. Amen. So he's laying, he's like going, he's laying, it, and people are coming. People like being told the, you know, some of the truth sometimes. It's so different from today's age. If you say something, you, you can lose church members, you know? I don't like what you said right there. It's my last service. You know, some of us wouldn't survive the first century. You say, my mama? Yeah. He says, I have to be more important. But we barely met. Yeah, I have to be more important. And so these people that were kind of on the fringe of society are going like, that makes sense. And these fringe people were starting to follow Jesus. And they were gathering around. And the people in power, which we'll call the the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, they realized they were losing their grip on the society. Because it's a very religious society, and they're losing their grip. And they're seeing these fringe people, who they've kind of outcasted, start following this rabbi who's claiming the kingdom of God is here, it's near, it's coming. And so they start to follow him. So their their idea is very political. We're going to discredit Jesus. We are going to now discredit this rabbi so he won't attract as many people. And that's kind of their philosophy. So here is the scripture. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Or they could be saying it, This man welcomes sinners. And he eats with them. I don't know how they're saying it, but they're trying to send a message that this guy can't be a true prophet. Because Remember that story of Simon the leper, the one that came and broke the perfume on Jesus' feet? And the Simon the leper, the Pharisee goes, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. So they were all about, hey, those people are on the fringe. Those people are outcasts. And he was welcoming sinners. Now that word... Welcome is a very, it's enthusiastic welcome. It's like, hey, it's great to see you. Not a welcome, Matt. Knock, but don't come in. It's not that. It's a welcome. And the Bible's way of saying manipulators and liars and cheaters and prostitutes and French people, as they call them, tax collectors and sinners. It's the Bible's way of saying those people that you know that you would rather stay away from. Those are the people that are coming to Jesus. Those who are addicted. Those who cheat. Those who manipulate. Those are the ones who are gravitating toward Jesus. And the the Pharisees are getting angry. Because they're struggling in their own self-righteousness going, why is this happening? And we need to be careful about being self-righteous. When people come into our fellowship, and we see when you take the church to your work, because the church is not in the hotel on the Grand Vista. The church is when you go to work. The church is when you go to school. That's the church. And so I can't tell you how many times I go to church and I'm looking down on people. I go to In-N-Out. I, bring, I, go, I have church at In-N-Out burgers sometimes, as you can see. I, I go there for church. And I can look down on people there. Last night, I was at church in Van Nuys in an In-N-Out burger. I brought church there. And I saw people that go, oh, I better be careful. I, I, I ordered a shake, not a shank, you know. Be careful. Don't stab me. I'm in L.A. Be careful. And I started finding myself putting up walls going, I'm in a dangerous area. It's funny. I used to live out there, and I used to think it was normal. Now I'm over here. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This place has changed me. I used to walk those streets at night. The story teaches us a lot of things, but we're going to talk about self-righteousness at the third character. That's the older brother. The second character is the father. We're not going to talk about him this morning, so if I come back, I'll do those installments, but today's focus is the younger brother, and what does it teach us? What does it mean to us to be a prodigal, and what can we do to imitate, yes, imitate things of the prodigal son? We're going to look at that this morning. So let's get into the story. So this is happening, and then Jesus sees her muttering, and they're angry, and he tells them a couple stories. He says, hey, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, and doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, hey, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you the truth. In every way, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. So he starts to tell them these little stories about, you know, losing a sheep. It's very important. You know, it's property. It's money. They have value. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. uh, Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Leading up to the prodigal story, Jesus is beginning just to kind of throw in a few stories to challenge the attitude of the Pharisees, that only there's a certain kind of people that are allowed to talk to Jesus. He's claiming to know God. That means only a certain kind of people are allowed to come to church. Only a certain type of people can, are allowed to come and fellowship with those who are proclaiming to be a prophet. Those people that we think are, are not you know, exactly fit to our norms, we keep them on the fringe. And so he's challenging. And Jesus says, no. When you lose a sheep, you go get it. When you lose a coin, you spend the day trying to find it. And what he's saying is that God want, and God goes out and he searches for people. He's searching because he finds value in people, even people on the fringe, even people that are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. And this is important for you as a parent you're trying to raise children and you might find in yourself in the role of the father when your child goes prodigal and this story is so important how you can react to that and how you should react to that because it's a real life situation I have teenagers and I am like oh, what is going to happen you don't know it's not like, I had quiet times, I did devos, and therefore, bling, they're supposed to be perfect Christians. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. God, please make it work that way. It doesn't. You do this, and you do this, and you think you're going to do this. And you get this, this, and you go, what in the Lord? I'm following your word. <laughs> and there's this, that's why the story is one of his greatest hits, because we all can relate to the prodigal. And he's cutting out the Pharisees' propensity for arrogance, for power, for wealth. He's just kind of chipping away at their arrogance. And then he tells them the story. There was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And their father slapped him for that saying those words. No, he didn't say that. You know, you think he would. He's saying, give me, give me, your, give me all your money, or give me a third of your money. My dad would have probably struck me, but then again, this is the father. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. A couple things to note here: That phrase, "wild living" is an unabashed, without restraints, without thinking without thought of my decisions now how they're going to affect me later it was based on how he feels and what he feels and how he should feel and feelings created this this unrestrained wild living funny that we you know we all have feelings even the most stoic among you has them but they're there You know, I used to think that Stoic people had no feelings, but I I couldn't realize they have a lot of feelings. It's like an iceberg down there. (laughs) And we live with them. And we have to understand how feelings affect the way we think and therefore affects things that we do. And we have to be careful because our feelings aren't always telling us the truth. Isn't that funny? Our feelings are not always telling us the reality. That's why the Bible says you got to get both parties together because, you know, if it comes to their truth, you're in trouble, right? It's almost like the, the the law, but it's not. You know, God has feelings. He says, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep. Rejoice with me, I found my coin. You know, God gets excited. He has a lot of emotion, but he doesn't react in emotion. He reacts in who he is love patient, kind. He doesn't react like we do. He doesn't get emotional in his response like we do. He doesn't discipline us out of, of his erratic emotion like we do. You know, I was having a great day yesterday. I cleaned the kitchen. I walked the dogs. I folded Karen's laundry. I was on a roll. I was like, husband of the month award. And I was waiting for Karen to notice the things I've done around the house. Great day. Then I go to the mailbox, because it's my, one of my last things I do, just check the mail. And then there's a letter. We're going to turn off your water in a few days if you don't pay this bill. And I, you know, I go, well. so I check my monthly account. I say, I these people. It was the city of Camarillo. And man, I was so angry at the seat of Camarillo. I was so mad. I yelled at my daughter. I was so mad. I was being critical of Karen, not because of Camarillo. I found something to say, something to complain. And I lashed out in emotion. And at the end of the day, I, you know after hurting their feelings, and you know as a parent, you have to talk to your kids after you hurt them. At least most parents should do that. So you talk to them, and, and, you, and it dawns on me, I was mad at the city of Camarillo, and I lashed out on those I love. And I was having a great day, and Karen didn't even notice what I had to tell her. Like, I did this, I did this. I was trying to find excuses to justify my erratic behavior. I, you folded your laundry. <laughs> didn't work. didn't heal them, actually. I thought I was going to heal them, but I served them, but it doesn't. Because our propensity is to lash out in emotion. I don't know why I did that. I should have just been calm. I paid them. You know, talked to them on Monday. Been more casual about it. But no, the night of L.A. worship, teen night, Geo gets erratic. <laughs> and then driving in the car, you know, knowing you're unresolved, is not a very good feeling. It's like trying to, It's like fighting with your wife on the way to church. I apologize if you did that this morning, I'm sorry. We look at the prodigal and we can see a person who acts out of emotion rather than the realities of what his father taught him. You've taught your kids a lot of amazing things. They might end up prodigal. That's why the story is so amazing. And we don't want to get sidetracked with feelings of the things that you do in your life or the things that we see because you know, with social media, man, it's just trying to tell us a message all the time. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just trying to, you know, every commercial you watch, everything you see, TV, or your phone, it's just trying to tell you a message that's not accurate. And sometimes there's wild living that's on the horizon because it's feeding your eyes. It's feeding your heart. It's feeding your soul. You know, when I was a little younger, my teenagers used to watch Superman. Then I climbed up a, 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 a wall and I jumped, thinking what I just saw on TV. Because you know George Reeves was like this, you know he's full phalerial. How do? You, and I would jump off things and do things that are totally irrational because the TV back then it was a big tube box. It, had ma- it was massive back then. Kids, it was huge. And whatever that TV said was like reality to us. And we watch it, and I would do things and act things on what I was seeing, but it was not reality. I just kept getting hurt. I got an umbrella and jumped off the wall thinking it was going to float down. It doesn't work. It's It's just a TV show. But it starts to affect the way I think and see my world. I know it's a little funny story, but that's what social media does. So we have to be watchful and careful. It's not evil. We just have to know it's not realistic. It's trying to tell us something. So So he runs off, and after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, literally when he came to, it means when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants And kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You know, this is one of the greatest hits of what God is like and how we're so unlike God. Because when I was a prodigal, and I went back to my house, because I, I ran away from home once, and I went back, I got the chancla. I, I didn't get, like, hugs and kisses. I got, why did you do that, and why did you make me nervous, you know? I didn't get that reception. Because it's, it's not almost like you have to think about your reaction. And so this guy is so excited about his son. He goes, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead... And is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field because, you know, he had to do extra work because his brother was gone. You know, he's upset. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he had him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with them. You know, that fattened calf, and all your livestock, we don't, we don't eat that one. We let it get fat. And we were waiting for you to, to kill that calf for a very special person. It's got to be a very special time to kill that calf. We don't touch it. You can kill that one, you can kill that one, but you cannot touch that one because that is reserved for a special occasion. And the brother comes back, and he hears a party. And the servant t- says, yeah, your dad killed a fattened calf. He's like, what? Wait a second. Hold on. He, wh- what did he? You know, he was late, you know, because he was probably out in the field working hard because, you know, one less brother to work the farm. And he's so angry. But his father answered, or this is what he tells his dad, Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you, man. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, and you kill the fattened calf for him? It's an outrage. What are you doing, Dad? You've lost it. You can't honor him. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. What are you doing? That's the older brother. He's the third part of the series. And that's that's intense. And you think the dad would be like, you're right, son. He doesn't. You think he'd try to console, like, hey, son. He says, look, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Because, you know, the oldest son gets two-thirds of the estate. Because his oldest son, he takes that two-thirds because he will be in charge of taking care of the entire family with it. So the, the, his younger son gets a third. Because like, everything I have is with you. You literally have everything. Everything I have now is all yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Some of us in this room, our children are prodigal. Some of us in this room, your children will be prodigal. It will. They will. In some form or fashion, they will struggle. And look at the reaction of the dad. I know he's not part of this, this lesson today, but man. Look at that reaction. God teaches us some great things about who he is. That God will go out and get people who are lost and who are broken. And then he'll celebrate that they're coming back. So we're going to look at the prodigal son and and the phases of the prodigal and how we can emulate some of his phases in his life to help us Do that because we may find ourselves being prodigal one day. And it's good to to know how to get back to God when you find yourself prodigal. How to find God again. That's why the story is so compelling. The first phase of the prodigal, and you can find yourself there if you haven't already, is that it begins with arrogance. That's when you're starting to enter his phase. When you become an arrogant person. But, Geo, 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 I'm not an arrogant person. I'm a confident person. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant land and squandered his wealth in wild living. This is the phase of the arrogance. You know, we, we don't like to call ourselves arrogant people, we prefer the word confident. Because we, we're Christian people. We know arrogance is bad. But it's, it's more of a passive arrogance where you think your opinion is the best opinion. It's passive arrogance. You know, this ancient world was very patriarchal. They are, there was two sons there. And not because you know, it, was, it was all about the dad, but it was all about the dad in that society because the, that dad took care of everybody. And for him for us, to ask for one-third of the estate was huge. He wasn't dead yet. He's supposed to wait till he's, he's in his later years, where he can't function, or he's dead. He gives the, the oldest son two-thirds to run the estate, for everybody take care of everybody, and then the rest of the children get one-third. That's what's supposed to happen. But in his arrogance, he goes, "I want it now. I want it here. I don't want to wait till later." this kid was arrogant. I don't know if you know this, but your workplace can make you arrogant. Your school can make you arrogant. Because our world is arrogant, period. We live in a free country to be arrogant. People are allowed to be arrogant, so they do. And we then start to think that maybe my, what I think is more valuable than others. Maybe the way I process is of more value than others. And that's the problem, because when you approach Christianity like that, you start to see God in a wrong way. God is not interested in your opinion. He's not interested in my opinion. He's interested in my wholeness. He's interested in your wholeness. You know, with a broken mind and a twisted opinion, you don't have a good view of your own wholeness. And at times, we escape in our arrogance. We escape to our cell phones and our social media, and we go into another world. I can create my world. I can pick and choose what influences me. And how are we supposed to feel when we're being fed all these things, and we start to feel the arrogance creep into our life? So that was this... First phase. The second phase is that he was spent. He was spent. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his pigs or feed, to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, in this man's arrogance, The son leaves the protection of the father and goes off and leaves what he knows. And he goes off and he does something else that feels good, that feels right, that feels satisfying. And in the end, he's realizing he's exhausted. It wasn't as fulfilling as I thought. What I thought was going to satisfy me has not satisfied me. My arrogance got me here. And now I'm exhausted trying to stay here. And so it becomes spent. And he's tired. And he starts to search. But before he can search, he hits the brokenness stage. When he came to his senses, when he came to himself, how many Of my father's servants have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. This broken phase is where people stall out. Because in a weird way, they think this broken phase is actually feeding them. They recognize they're doing something wrong, but they feel like they're in a rut and they can't get out of it. It's like circular. When they they want to change, they go back to it. This is where people begin to numb out and get into addiction of alcohol and drugs and seeking sexual pleasure. And this is where they kind of stay because they're in this broken stage and they don't know how to process this and they get stuck there and they're in a rut and they're broken. And when you're in that phase... Do not surround yourself with other brokenness. You will never escape that cycle. If you surround yourself with other brokenness, they'll just keep you there. This young man came to himself and he realized something. Nobody wants to be there. But when you become arrogant and you become spent, You can wind up there. And this is where we can start to emulate the prodigal in the next phase. He was humbled. He was arrogant. He was spent. He was broken. And then he was humbled. So he got up and he went. See, that's the humbled phase, when you do something. Not when you, the broken face is when I wish I could be, I wish I wasn't here, I wish I could change, I hope I can change, I wish and I hope. That's not humbled. Humbled is I go and I get up. And so he did. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, ran to him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, because I, I sinned against heaven, against you. I, I keep Don't even call me your son. There are some people who never get here. We call them the rebellious. He's rebellious! Well, sometimes they're rebellious because they're stuck in this broken stage and, they're filled, and they are surround themselves with broken people. Sometimes they're there because they don't know how to get out of there. Sometimes they're rebellious because they don't know how to get out of their rebellion. They just don't, and they're stuck there. It's impossible if you don't humble yourself to return to the Father. It's impossible. You can't do it. Accepting forgiveness takes so much humility. So much. And here's the humility. I have sinned. We have to walk humbly before our God. I have sinned. A lot of times we go on like, oh God, forgive me of my sin. We're very general. God, yeah, God. And we want to move on so quickly. Let's get into what I want you to do for my life. Because I got a whole list of what I want you to do, but my list of I have sinned is so short. I sinned. Let's just put it on the banner. Uh, I had a bad day, Lord. It's not being humble. Humble is telling God, I've done this, 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 this. It's amazing. My list of what I want God to do is super long. It's super amazing. It sounds super spiritual. My list of what, I, what I've done wrong is so short because I wrap it up in a nice cute word going, God, forgive me of my sins. Woo! Covers everything. God knows. God knows. God knows. He does know. But for me to grow, for me to phase out, for me to get out of there, is I have to acknowledge it to him. We get so churchy. We get around 20 years going, God knows. We have it all theologically sound. like God knows what I've done. So why repeat it? It's not for him to hear. It's for you to heal. It's for you to grow. It's for you to realize, man, I am broken. I am spent. I am arrogant. And then you get humbled. And when you get in that phase, you start treating people differently. When you want to brush over your sin with God, and then you see someone sin against you, you're like, whoa, we got to deal with that issue. Oh, we got to be thorough. Let's have a meeting, because I thoroughly want to talk to you about it. And we get this puffed up, because we're not walking humbly, and we get puffed up, and we get arrogant again. But when you're broken, and you're humbled, man, how you treat people is a whole different ballgame. You're like, oh man. Man, I know. I've been there. That's a whole comforting conversation then. Bro, bro. What is what does the word say? We do that all the time in our church. Bro, bro, bro. We do we do less of this going, Gee, I speak with no authority on this issue. No authority. But I will share what I've learned about how God treats me. Imagine if we did that in our fellowship. Imagine if we did that. We stopped being the big brother. Oh, big brother. Big brother. Oh. Well, little brother. Looks like you have a lot of areas to grow in your character. And look how God reacts. It's so unlike I react. Remember, this is a personal grief. He personally sinned against the. You know when someone personally sins against you? Man, that's hard, right? That's why it's one of the greatest hits, I think. And the final phase. Celebrate it. The Father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Bring that thing over here. Because we're going to kill it. I'd love to see a picture of the the servant's reaction going like, you know, bring that fattened calf. All right, we're going to bring Bertha over there. Get over there. We're going to kill him. Kill that calf. And then celebrate. You know what I find sad in our church? We only throw a party for you once in your life. And that is when you get baptized. And then the parties are over. It's like you never get a party. I want to get baptized again. I want to leave and get rebaptized and have another party. In this passage, he's saying any sinner, anyone who repents, he says, celebrate with them. You know what we do? Let's look at the word. Yeah. Oh, you want to repent? Good, good, good. You repent. okay, amen. Bro, I'll see you next week for a follow-up. At that moment, when he says, I want to repent. in and out Burger. Let's go somewhere. Let's go to Taco Bell. Let's, ta- let's have a little party. You know, our mentality is so unlike the Lord. There's a party in heaven going, angels are jumping, everyone's pumped, and we're like, I'll see you next week for a follow-up appointment. There's a party in heaven, and we're down here being like, oh, let's go party less. I find that funny in our church, but I also find it sad. Yeah. We should be throwing a lot more parties for people, not just for the sacred, you know, he's going to get baptized, let's throw a party. How about, man, this brother's been lacking in faith and not being a Christian, but really coming to church, and he decided one day he's going to change his life, give it- he's broken, be humbled. That's a party. I think I want to encourage a culture change in our church. A lot of more celebration. Just say, I, I sin, I repent. You know, just tell us you repented so we have not accused. to was a little party. And whoever has the fattened calf, we're going to his house. I know a guy. I know a guy who's got a fattened calf. I want to go to his house for the party. In fact, all the parties at your house. I love that. Celebrated. When people prodigal themselves to you, forgive them. Don't put stipulations. They celebrated. Look at that, quick. There's no party. There was, wasn't any of this weird stipulation, these weird hoops they have to go through. To be kind of in your good graces again. There wasn't any of that. That's why the story is amazing. It's like one of the greatest hits. So we find ourselves, when we're arrogant, we're on that phase. You're on your way. Then we're spent. Then we could become broken, and that's the danger. That's the cycle. That's why I can't let go. I can't stop watching what I'm watching I shouldn't watch. I can't get off social media, I can't, I can't stop drinking, I can't stop doing drugs, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then we get humbled, and we get real with God, and we walk humbly before our God. And then we meet the Father on the road who's been searching for us, and there's a celebration. And that, my friends, is the story of the prodigal, where you and I will find ourselves in our journey as we get to heaven. Thanks so much for your time. That concludes our service. Enjoy the fellowship. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was doing this too too much. I was doing the old, uh, thank you. (laughs) Yes.